Signal is a new magical realist podcast that invites you to complete small challenges in the real world. Will you choose to follow the instructions within? Visit SYGNAL.com to check it out and stick around to the end of this episode where I'll play an exclusive clip for you. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn Podcast, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn. Welcome back to the Fantasy Inn Podcast. This week is an extra special panel episode with two incredible podcast critics, hosts, and producers, who also happen to be the two people who introduced me to audio fiction. So welcome to the show, Will Williams and Elena Fernandez-Collins. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I didn't know that. (laughs) That's so so nice to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, following both of you for a couple years now, I guess, ever since I joined the Podcast Problems Discord server. So I've definitely been uh, finding a lot of new shows at the two of your recommendation. Oh, that's so lovely. And uh, so I guess to start things out, then, could you both introduce yourselves so that our audience can learn a little bit more about you? Yeah, totally. Um, so I am a uh, I'm a podcast critic, as Travis said. I'm a journalist. You can find me writing about uh, writing reviews and critiques and personal essays about podcasting in a lot of indie media, um, like Bella Collective, Discover Pods. And I am the host of Radio Drama Revival, which is a podcast that showcases audio fiction podcasts, and we interview their creators. And I'm also uh, a podcast critic. Right now, I am the managing editor over at Discover Pods. I'm also the CEO of Hug House Productions and the showrunner of Valence, which is our first serialized long-form fiction podcast. You both have incredibly impressive resumes. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) thank you again for coming on the show. Um, Right. So I guess I want to start things out by just getting your thoughts on kind of what the background is for the medium of fiction podcasting, because I know this is changing all the time. But also, I guess, very first thing, is there an agreed upon best term for fiction podcasts? I've heard audio fiction and audio drama and several others. (laughs) I'm going to pull something up for you. Real quick, uh, Ellie, if you want to give yeah. your, your thoughts in the meantime. <laughs> Sorry, we're laughing because I, I know what Will is going to pull up, and that's why I'm laughing. Um, it's going to be very good. Um, my my thoughts on this are uh, that for the general public, right, for just people who are listening to podcasts, right, people who are just talking about them between friends, or even people who are, you know, promoting their own podcasts, uh, use whatever term feels right for you, okay? Like, use the term that feels correct. There are a lot of options out there, um, and you can do searches on things like which ones seem to get the most traction on things like social media, but in the end, you should always pick the one that fits your podcast the best. For the press and, like, me, personally, I stick with fiction podcast, um, Mm -hmm. and then I add any qualifiers that I need to add, like comedy fiction, scripted, unscripted fiction, and I do that because I want to start setting a standard in the press 
of how to refer to things so that we're, we can more easily do things like search for these things, group them together, talk about them with a critical lens. Um, and that's why I try to restrain, I try to, I restrict myself, my own work personally to using fiction podcast. So what I've pulled up is um, the style guide I have created for our Discover Pods writers. So a lot of our style guide is, you know, things like definitions of industry terms, punctuation preferences, things like that, things on inclusion. Part part of the style guide, uh, the subheader is audio drama versus fiction podcast. And I'm just going to read you what I wrote. Okay. These two terms have resulted in countless debates across several years. Please do not make me have to experience this debate ever again. I am so (laughs) tired. Follow your bliss. Use whatever term feels best to you. I use fiction podcast because it is clearer to to new listeners in my experience. You can use audio drama, especially if your audience is existing audio drama creators. Either way, please use a parenthetical after the first use of whatever term you choose, giving the other word, e.g., Null Void, Null and Void, is a fiction podcast, parentheses, otherwise known as an audio drama, end quote, slash, quote, Null and Void is an audio drama, parentheses, or fiction podcast, end quote. If you make me engage with this debate, you owe me three pictures of of baby bunnies to be delivered to me via Slack DM or email in no more than 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) I think think you owe Will like three baby bunny pictures. (laughs) All right. Yes, that is fair. (laughs) No, it is. We're just saying no, but no, right. Like who's going to say no to bunny pictures? No, like it's like a legitimate question, like for people to ask, right? Like, especially if it's people in the audience who are trying to find critique or lists or references right to things so that they can find more stuff to listen to i think that the probably the one guideline ellie and i uh both feel very strongly about is that fiction podcast audio drama uh and scripted podcast those are one of these things is not like the other folks (laughs) Non-fiction podcasts can be scripted. What do you, do you think that Ira Glass is just talking? He's got a script, my man. So don't call it a scripted podcast. I know it's scripted. You can say a scripted fiction podcast or a scripted audio drama. (laughs) That's Uh, fine. It doesn't mean anything by itself. Exactly. It's, it just means it's meaningless. <laughs> like there's a script. Great. Tons of podcasts cool. have scripts. And this is a problem that I see mostly in um, press releases relating to podcasts that have Hollywood people involved yes. in some form. Um, I generally don't see this issue with indie um, independent productions, um, mm-hmm. but I see a lot of like writers, reporters who are writing about these things using the terminology scripted podcast, probably because that's the term that's in the press kit. And it's meaningless. It's It's, meaningless. uh, Do you know if you, if anyone knows the meme of like that dude who's like blood orange, it's red. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's me. um, From Project Runway. Yeah. From Project Runway. (laughs) That's me. Like scripted podcast. It's a fiction (laughs) podcast. (laughs) (laughs) yes i love that and i think this kind of discussion is what i was hoping for and not just oh no it's fiction podcast let's go with that so thank (laughs) you for that i I love the background on it you're welcome Um, 
Yeah. Well, so the two of you have kind of an interesting perspective, given that you've seen multiple sides of the medium. Uh, what do you think are the unique challenges or advantages that uh, fiction podcasting, parentheses, audio drama has as a medium? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think um, one of the like clearest and most immediate advantages that it has for a lot of creators is while I do think that there is a barrier for entry uh, into fiction podcasting, and I do not necessarily think it's low, it is often much lower than the barrier of entry mm. to making a film or a TV show. Especially- I think the... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go for it, Ellie. Uh, just, to, just to make sure this is associated with the right time. The, the word for this is I think there is um, a very low barrier to publication. <gasps> yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a great way of phrasing that. Uh, yeah, so like, especially when it comes to genre fiction, where we have um, some sort of magical element or otherworldly element, et cetera, et cetera, it is usually <laughs> cheaper and easier to convey those sorts of high genre elements when you don't have to worry about visuals. You know, you're not dealing with CG or even practical effects, which uh, can be obviously very difficult. <laughs> right. Yeah. I fully agree with Will here, right? The the barrier to publication is is much lower than in other places for, for genre fiction, right? Like, um, to get published elsewhere, uh, you like to get a book published, you could self-publish, and then there's the problem of marketing for self-published books. And for visuals, um, as Will just described, the like practical effects for genre fiction are through the roof, and so is CGI or anything else, which is why I think fiction podcasting is having its time to shine. Mm-hmm. Right. As pe- more and more people realize that they can accomplish these things with sound more uh, just as well, depending on the subject, of course, not everything is made for audio um, <laughs> uh, that as they could in, in visuals. And I think that because of that, um, one of the nice things is that it is often a much more accessible medium to work in um for creators who are underrepresented, who have been institutionally and systemically marginalized and pushed to the fringes of other creative endeavors, um, which means we're getting stories that we wouldn't have access to otherwise, um, which I think is really beautiful and really incredible and is breathing a ton of new phenomenal life into fiction as a whole, Um, especially because uh, I've seen several you know, audio fiction or audio drama, whatever, uh, creators find careers in other media that they wouldn't necessarily have as um, easy access to otherwise, which I think is lovely. Or even just be like really, really fucking successful in podcasting, which obviously uh, you love to see it. It's great. You love to see it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if we even just take a look at the numbers, right, of, of diversity in publishing, like written publishing those numbers are are absolutely atrocious right across <laughs> children's literature yep. like romance fantasy sci-fi across the board it's absolutely atrocious i don't have the numbers right off the top of my head but they're, they're very bad. low um yeah and so i think this is an interesting discussion especially what both of you were mentioning about the lower barrier to publication at the beginning because i know to a certain extent i think ellie you touched on this like if you want to self-publish a book there's not 
really much of a barrier to that, but you do have a mm-hmm. huge challenge with marketing. So it's almost mm-hmm. like a barrier to finding an audience almost is what I see it as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have this uh, un- very unfortunate stigma, right, in in self-published, mm-hmm. self-publishing, right, that that's, you shouldn't self-publish because uh, it's not good and you're not going to be able to get uh, an agent or a publisher later. Um, or it's just uh, people just regard self-published books as lesser quality because they haven't gone through the systemic uh, machine that is a publishing house and like though I also things. I think it's worth pointing out um and Ellie not that I'm educating you here <laughs> <at all. laughs> yeah. I, I think it's uh worth pointing out that a lot of the stigma against self-publication is because a lot of self-published authors are uh, specifically women writing erotic fiction mm-hmm. um and the eroticism of women is uh you yep. know you know biased heavily uh-huh yeah. And so, and also, of course, a lot of the people who are self-publishing, um, including these women who are writing erotic fiction or queer people who are writing erotic fiction mm-hmm. or people of color writing all kinds of other fiction as well, mm-hmm. uh, are all people who just haven't, they don't have the ability or the capacity to fight the system, right, to get noticed because that's a, it's a long fight. Um, mm-hmm. And so here's the thing, right, is that we have this, uh, this stigma against self-published books but we don't have the same kind of stigma against podcasting, mm-hmm. even though that, it's even though it's like virtually, I would say like similar, you very know? similar, right? You're published. I mean, it's it's your story, right? It's it's mm-hmm. your it's your story. It's your narrative. It's your world, whatever it is, and you're publishing it, but it's just with sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but because think, of podcasting's history and how podcasting exactly. got started, it's not considered. Right. With the same. The types of stigma that podcasting suffers are not the same. Because podcasting um, largely comes from the same mindset as broadcast journalism and even, you know, we can talk about radio dramas, et cetera, et cetera. It has this sort of intellectualized sort of reputation because, you know, it's associated with old white male journalists on the radio, uh, or even, you know, the, the next generations of those, which are uh, hip, cool, youngish white men. White male. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you also have all of these, like the old guard, right, in, in radio journalism and, mm-hmm. and publication, um, who say things like, oh, it's just podcasting, right? It's not as rigorous as real journalism. Oh. Um, and, and you get that also with, with I've seen it in publish, published works where people who publish, you know, their fiction as a podcast, whatever kind of type you've gone for, right? Small cast, full cast, just you, whatever. Mm-hmm. Thinking that it's not serious fiction work. Yes, absolutely. And that's a problem. It is a problem. Because most of the people that they are saying that to are mar- marginalized people of various kinds, disabled people of color, queer people, poor people, um, who haven't been given the chance, right? They, no one wants to take a risk on them. Mm-hmm. So as someone who learned about fiction podcasts coming first from a reader standpoint, and mm-hmm. then I got into audiobooks, and then I was like, oh, hey, you know, fiction podcasts are apparently a thing, and that's not a huge leap for me to make. Kind of seems like the publishing industry and the podcasting industry are kind of taking totally opposite 
directional movements where publishing starts out, you have a few big players. I mean, that's still more or less what we have is four or five big players. Um, and they're putting out all of the stories and then self-publishing comes around and now anyone can create something. But podcasting was sort of the opposite where you have anyone can create something as long as they have the equipment and the means and the time to do so. And then now we see some of those big players coming in and trying to say, hey, this smells like money to me. Like, what can I do with this? Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely agreed. Um, I, I started listening to podcasts uh, like before they were available on iTunes. <laughs> um, and it was a very, very different world. Not necessarily better. Uh, a lot of like old school podcasters think that it was like the golden era and like some kind of, but like not real. Like there isn't, it's still a baby. Like 15, 20 years ago, that's still a baby industry. Like we've we've got a ways to go before we can start declaring golden periods here. But it was, it was very, very, very different. Like there were so few advertisers. Um, I remember when I, I think I heard the first ad, not the first ad in podcasting, but the, the first time I heard an ad in podcasting, it was for Stitcher. Stitcher had just launched and it was like, you know, if you download Stitcher and you listen there and you listen to it on your iPod, uh, <laughs> uh, because you can get the app now on your iPod Touch. Isn't that very fancy? Uh, you can like win this thing and we'll fly you out to this place and you can meet these podcasters. Isn't that crazy? And like, that's very cool. Um, very, very different now <laughs> from where we can all recite like ad copy for yeah. <laughs> cast companies. You know, like, I could I could list off. Uh, just a lineage of things that are advertising on podcasts now. Um, and then we also have, you know, like you were saying, these these big players, you know, we've got things like Spotify coming in making originals. We've got things like um, Audible making Audible originals, which I think blurs the line between podcast and audiobook. And, you know, uh, companies like Wondery, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're definitely at a strange and interesting time when it comes to podcasting as a like capital I industry and what that means for the financial longevity of it. Yeah. And I think we can officially say we've entered the golden age of podcasting as soon as we finally determine who is the new Netflix of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> who who invented fiction podcasting today? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for those who don't know, that's a reference to a bunch of articles that came out uh, throughout 2019 and 2020, um, especially 2020 during the pandemic, uh, where the these a lot of theater companies right during the pandemic joined fiction podcasting because they weren't able to put on their plays anymore, um, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Uh, but a lot of the articles written about them made it sound like they just like discovered this cool new thing, guys, <laughs> that you can do. <laughs> Did you know? Uh, <laughs> and a lot of, like, some several other articles as well. But there were, like, three in a very short time period that basically claimed that these people had invented fiction podcasting. And it was... And even, the, like, radio <laughs> drama. Yeah, <laughs> radio <laughs> drama. And I'm just kind of like, uh, y'all. <laughs> I need to take a nap. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the time period that we're in right now is going to be looked upon like a middle period. 
Yeah. Um, I think that we're in a transition period. And as we all know from the many times that we have studied history, uh, transition periods and middle periods take a long time to go through. It's not, you know, over and done with in a single year. Mm-hmm. So, Especially not a year like, yeah. uh, like 2020, 2020 or 2021. <laughs> Let me tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for providing a perfect segue there, because my next question is, where do you think the industry is headed? And I guess... Uh, tangent on that, where do you hope it will head if it's not the direction you think it's heading? So this year, um, so every year, uh, Bellow Collective, which is one of the places that I write for, um, at the beginning of the year, they send out a newsletter that includes um, predictions from the people who write there, right, from their writers. And this year in the in the predictions, I said, after 2020, I feel like I can't predict anything anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's the thing. 2020 came out of left field because 2020 did something that we didn't expect, which was make podcasting an even more valuable commodity after a period of time in which it was a devalued commodity, right? Mm -hmm. So you had people trapped in their homes during lockdown, unable to commute. And so because they didn't commute, they didn't listen to podcasts. But then the lockdown kept happening and the pandemic kept happening And there's only a certain amount of time that you can go through all of that and not turn to different forms of media. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just return to the things that you used to love. Exactly. Return to the things that you used to listen to all the time because you're not doing a commute anymore, so you're not listening to your podcast. So you need to, like, start making time for them. And then on top of that, right, you have all these creators who, like, worked in theater or worked in some kind of filming industry, right, who didn't, weren't, were no longer able to make their stories happen. And so in 2020, they had to turn to audio and remote recording in order to make it happen. And Um, also notably stage, stage acting. Yeah, stage acting, like very notably. Um, We had, you know, a bunch of, there was like several musicals that came out last year in audio (laughs) form, right? Like Bleeding Love. Mm -hmm. Um, In Strange Woods. Yeah, in Strange Woods. Um, we had Apocalypse Songs from New Zealand, um, which was actually written for audio. Um, and then they managed to get a grant uh, to be able to produce it during the pandemic. We had a couple, like several of them that were just like, well, we wrote this stage play that we can't do anymore. So I guess we're going to adapt it for audio. And so we could not predict that, right? Like that, yeah. this is not something that was predictable. And so it has, it has, it has definitely had an impact and we don't know what that impact is yet. We will not know the impact for a long time. Like, we're not going to know the impact for a while because we're still in the pandemic, right? People mm-hmm. are still trapped in their homes. Or, you know, if you live in the UK, you're got a, <laughs> got a government that's putting you in and out of lockdown like a fucking yo-yo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if you live in the US, I mean, like, woe betide us, right? So I think that the impact uh, that the pandemic and its far-reaching consequences will have on podcasting will not be known for a little while. And for that reason, I am very hesitant to be able to predict anything because I'm just kind of like, I don't know, man, (laughs) it's a wild world out there. Yeah. And I think the other side of this too, is we've recently had like a pretty important election. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think that uh, legislature, et cetera, uh, will hit things like indie arts, but it Absolutely does. So Ellie touched on grants, which uh, for things like podcasts, I think that that's much more common uh, in Australia than it is. Yeah, it it definitely is. Yeah. But for (laughs) now, um, I I have no no concept of uh, what an arts budget 
for the states is going to look like, you know, um, as opposed to knowing it will be uh, gutted mercilessly uh, in the last four years. I, I have no concept of what the economy is going to look like. Uh, you know, we, we've we had like massive changes in, in conversations about minimum wage. Um, we've had, you know, conversations about stimulus checks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that economists are, you know, obviously predicting what our economic future is going to look like as a country right now. But I also think that to do so is uh, folly. <laughs> uh, I, I think that it will be very difficult, at least for most, like, laymen. Uh, hey, is layman a terrible word? I have never looked into the history of this word. No Sorry. idea. Cool. It sounds like it would be, but right? I, I really don't know. It came out of my mouth and I was like, oh, that feels iffy. Anyway. Let's go with no, audiences. Yes, thank you. Uh, I think that most to most audiences, uh, to, to try to predict what our economic future is going to look like is going to be very, very difficult. And because we have a lot of venture capitalists, et cetera, investing in podcasting right now, we have a lot of large companies investing in podcasting right now, um, that could either turn out to be like super killer and great and uh, make people a lot of money, or we could see that diminish a lot rapidly uh and then you know be be left to reckon with the remains of that either way i think the only thing i can really predict is that most podcasters do this knowing that they're not going to ever make a lick of money but they're doing it because they love it because they love audio and i think that those people will always be here to stay i don't think that the medium itself is ever going away which at least oh god going back to 2014 to 2018, I think everybody was kind of, I mean, everybody in like the public non-podcast industry sphere was like, eh, these podcast things, they're gonna go away. Yeah. Uh, which I think is very silly. <laughs> yeah. I want to make a, a note here on, on Will's commentary, which is actually very useful commentary, but it's that to make sure that we are not sliding into the Americanization of everything. Yes. Right. The reason, one of the reasons why I mentioned um, Apocalypse Songs from New Zealand is because there's this tendency, right, is the Americanization of the internet. And unfortunately, because podcast is a digital commodity, it also suffers from this, where the podcasts that get the most notice, um, they get the most references. And the way that we talk about podcasting is heavily influenced by American culture um, mm -hmm. and American politics and American whatever is happening in America at the time, just like everything else on the internet, right? Um and it's very frustrating. And so it's important to remember that not everything in podcasting is influenced by um, by the U.S. and that people are going to keep chugging along making podcasts whether or not we see the downfall of democracy in the U.S., right? Um, the, the reason I brought up the pandemic in particular was because it was a global phenomenon. And uh, it was a global event, sorry. And it impacted everyone. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think that we're going to see a much larger change across podcasting than we will with regards to the effects of what's been happening in the U.S. for the last four years, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, when people, like the people, like the audience I'm talking to right now, when you're thinking about podcasting is to, and talking about it, just make sure that you are not falling into the trap of Americanization because yes, the Americanization of everything is occurring, right? Like, People are still doing that in the sense of like companies and the way that they function and the way that they treat the market for podcasting and the way that they think about who to publish 
um, who to talk about in the press, who to give money to, is very heavily influenced by this Americanization. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the uh, one of the ways that we can push back on that is just making sure that the individual is thinking about that, right, and talking about it. Yeah. Thank you for that, Ellie. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah. Um, Hasht- hashtag who can tell that I'm from a colonized country. <laughs> <laughs> to switch directions for a moment. Uh, so since podcasting is kind of constantly in flux and it's been changing so much over time, uh, which we've kind of hit on already. But as critics, how do you approach critiquing a medium that doesn't really have a standard language for critique yet? I know, Ellie, you mentioned that you're trying to formalize how you talk about fiction podcasts, but uh, I guess, yeah, I'll just open that up to both of you. Will, you want to take that first? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, so I, I come to uh, podcast criticism through a uh, long, long love of blogging. Um, I like raised myself on things like the AV club and Vox and cracked and, you know, all of these like kind of weird, super personality driven media criticism spheres. And I also like, I am very familiar with the world of film criticism and respect it deeply, but I've never really engaged with it quite the same. Um, so like I talk a lot about how I, my work would not exist without Emily Vanderwerf, who is also now a podcaster, uh, making fiction podcasts, which I love. Uh, she is one of the creators of Arden, but she's also the uh, the head of culture over at Vox. And she worked on uh, like several, several big projects at the AV Club for a long time. So when I look for language, I'm actually a really big fan of not using audio specific language unless it's literally about the audio. I think that one way to sort of help podcasts gain traction as a respected medium is to treat them the way that we treat any other respected medium. That's my general approach to using language. There have been a a few times where Part of the way that we talk about podcasts is that a a word will be adopted and then used and then used and then used a million times. Um, I'm thinking of the word intimate. Uh, Mm. So people talk about podcasts as intimate like all the time. And I think that it kind of means nothing. So the other thing that I look for and another thing that I I talk about in the uh, style guide that I've written for the writers is to try to focus on specificity. If you want to say that a podcast is intimate, why not focus on what that means? What is that sensation like? What does that feel to you? What do you mean by intimacy? The same goes for immersive. Uh, Maybe sometime last year or a few months ago, I don't know what time is. um, I, it was called to my attention that the way that I use immersive when I'm talking about audio, especially fiction, um, totally different from how a lot of people interpreted it. And there were a ton of different interpretations. So now, you know, I try to focus on what that means, what that feels like. And I think that that's generally um, a, a good way to move forward is think about codified language for sure, but also think about what that codified language means. And if you can be more specific without creating uh, unnecessary jargon, which I do feel is sometimes gatekeeping um, in, in how it behaves. Ellie, our linguist. Uh. Hi. Hi. Uh, so the other... <laughs> 
That's why I asked Will to go first, because I'm sitting here like, oh, God, I have like five different things about this. Yeah, so uh, I'm a linguist. Uh, for those who don't know, I, I have a degree and, well, almost two degrees um, in linguistics. Uh, and you have a degree 0. 0.75. Yeah, degree 0. 0.75. <laughs> I'm working on my thesis uh, for my master's degree. Um, and so I approach my my criticism I approach from a lens of a sociolinguist. So specifically, I work I work in language and the law. So I work a lot with um, how we interpret laws and how we apply laws uh, to people. Uh, spoiler, unfairly and with a lot of racism. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but it means that when I approach, um, writing criticism, I approach it from the lens of someone who is trying to get like someone who wants society to move into the direction of making everything accessible for everyone. Yes. Um, so I, I rely a lot on bell hooks for this. Um, bell hooks is one of my very favorite, um, writers, and one of the things that Bell Hooks talks about is about making your work accessible for the people that you're talking about. Because if you write a scientific article about Black women and something that Black women experience, and you give it to a Black woman and she can't understand what it is that you're writing about, like, if you have that experience, then you're not writing for the audience that, like, for the people that you're talking about and you're excluding them and treating them like a lab rat. Which is awful. <laughs> Don't do that. In case that needs to be yeah, said. Just in case that needs to be said, right? So when I approach my writing, I approach it from the frame of I'm writing for an audience that may not be a podcaster. Mm-hmm. They will not have access to understanding DAWs and different types of sound terminologies. They will not have access to... And they might, right? They might have access to all those things. But I I want to make sure that the people who don't are still able to understand why this podcast moved me. Mm -hmm. And I want... Sorry. Um, Okay. Uh, And and specifically, I like why this podcast moved me. And I want them to understand why this podcast moved me in the way that the podcast was made, right? Mm -hmm. Like... Yes, this podcast moved me because the story is very close to me, but also this podcast moved me because of these of these specific scenes, right? For example, where they use where the sound gets very close to your head and they have close mic'd everyone. And what that means is that the microphones are very close, which means that it feels like someone is talking way closer to your ear mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. they do in the rest of the podcast, right? Things like that. Things where I describe what it is that's happening in a technical sense, but without using exclusive uh, exclusionary technical jargon. Mm-hmm. I think that there's this like uh, both really tragic and deeply embarrassing trend in a lot of media journal, and I would even I would say like more and more to pop culture journal, uh, where the critics really care about you thinking that they're really smart. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They <laughs> think that that's gross and a waste of time. Super gross. Um, so like, I was going to, you know, touching on Ellie discussing a, a DAW, a digital audio workspace, um, it takes two seconds for a critic to say, parentheses, digital audio workspace, if they say DAW. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't make a critic uh, less smart 
And if anybody reading it is, uh, if they feel like they're being talked down to, uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's a you <laughs> problem, buddy. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't write for people who are going to feel spoken down to or want to speak down to me because I'm explaining something to a wider audience uh, who doesn't know technical terms, you know? Um, I've seen a lot of debates come up recently about, like, really wanting a set of vocabulary and a set of jargon, and we should have our own words. And, like, man, first off, I don't have the time for it. Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of words in my head and I don't even want them there. Um, I would, I, I'm, I'm happy to not have more. Um, <laughs> and then also like, why? To what end? To yeah. what end? <laughs> so here, here in this moment, Will and I diverge slightly, slightly. I do think that a critical language is necessary, but I don't believe that a critical language means technical jargon. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Ellie. That's right. a, a much better way of saying those yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's what I thought. I was like, mm, I'm going to say that we diverse just in case, but. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're good. I'm yeah. Very so like, uh, one of the, one of the things that I think is really important when you're talking about critical language is that the things that make a critical language important and useful and valuable are the things that reach people and people's hearts and people's minds, right? And the things that reach those things is not, it's not the word DAW and it's not the word binaural audio. And like, <laughs> it's not those things, <laughs> um, you know, and it's not, it's not even the word intimate at this point, as well stated, right? You can say, oh, it's intimate. Great. Yeah. I've been using the word intimate to describe the heart since it started. Like, what do you want me to do about that? I would hope that the critical language that we are developing is developed organically and with conscious thought that it will be used to reach human beings mm-hmm. and human beings who probably aren't tucking away at sound stations in their in their homes, right? They're not doing right. sound work. Um, they're people who want to experience it. And so the word experience is, I think, very important here mm-hmm. um, because an experience is more than, it's more than jargon, right? It's more than specific words. Yeah. I think, Ellie, you and I are totally united here. I think that, I think that the difference in the way we're, we were discussing it comes from when I hear people asking about um, critical language and uh, the, like the terms that we use, I think that based on like a lot of the conversations I've seen, like people seem to want a toolbox, you know, things that they can pull out and uh, hammer a nail. Whereas what you and I would really love is to move away from the toolbox and closer to an entire philosophy mm-hmm. and ethos in the way that we discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I view, because I'm a linguist, probably I view language as like its own ethos. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Every type of every language, even if it's, you know, a dialect or just a language that's particular to a company or an organization or a language that's particular to a family, they all have their own ethos and they all have their own spirit and they all have their own rules, too. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't talk to your family the same way that you talk to your boss. (laughs) Right. One one would hope. Uh, One would would hope. I mean, (laughs) unless your family is also your boss and then that just gets kind of weird in my in my personal experience. (laughs) Um, It all comes with its own set of 
ideas, right? It all comes with its own set of philosophies and paths. And I would hope that when people think about language, they think about something bigger than a toolbox. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that that you can't take a toolbox with you. Like if you're feeling right. insecure about like starting, like if we want to encourage people to like join the criticism community in audio, we one of the things that more. we need more, right? We need, we need people, we need more. We know more people, please. Um, but if you want to join, a lot of the things that prevents people is feeling like, you know, one of the things that prevents people from joining criticism is feeling like, oh, well, these people know all these fancy words and I don't. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think it's important to be able to, to be like, okay, well, you can start by reading like these folks, right? And, and you can get a feel for the way that they use language. Um, and the way that they use certain terminology, like what terminology do they use in all of their articles or in both of their articles or whatever, if you're comparing stuff, what's the same, what's different, right? And you can start collecting those things as kind of a toolkit so that you can start. I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also one of the ways that we create a foundation that's open for everyone is mm-hmm. that people start looking at the way that people talk about audio and looking at the ways that it's the same and the ways that it's different. And being able to use those terms in the way that fits what they hear in audio. Yeah, absolutely. This is an absolutely fascinating discussion, too. Uh, (laughs) I do want to move us on to talk a little bit about both of your own work, though. Uh, No, no, no. I could listen to this for hours. Uh, But unfortunately, we do not have hours. Uh, So I guess first, Will, could you tell us just a little bit about valence and scoring magic? Yeah, absolutely. So Valence is the serialized fiction podcast um, that I am a showrunner for. um, And Ellie is a part of. Ellie is one of my actors. They are very good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Valence is an urban fantasy story about a magic user named Liam who lives in a city that is not New York. Wink, wink. And the story is about him trying to investigate and uh, eventually hopefully take down a corporation that makes devices meant to suppress magical ability. Lots of themes of found family and lots of themes of abuse and trauma. Um, It is a very deeply personal story to me. Um, And our second season is launching on the 9th. Uh, So it's coming up. Well, coming up as of recording. Scoring Magic is a documentary about making valence. So I have always really loved just making resources for people. If if it seems like if it seems like documenting a process could be helpful to anyone ever in any situation, um, I will I will gladly do it. I like to do it. Uh, so Scoring Magic is our documentary, which goes over everything from how I got started making valence uh, to the experience of putting, again, like very, very deeply personal moments in the story uh, to finances, to casting calls, to uh, us launching the first season and just kind of feeling like weird ambivalence. It's We just kind of track everything that we can in hopes that it will be useful to anyone. Yeah, fantastic. And Ellie, could you tell us a little bit about Radio Drama Revival? Yeah, sure. Um, So Radio Drama Revival has been going for 14 years now. You're entering our 14th season. 
Uh, and if that sounds like a long time, it's because it is. <laughs> yes. uh, it, it started uh, on the actual radio with our founder, um, Fred Greenhouse in Maine, before moving into podcast form. And I am the third host of Radio Drama Revival after Fred and David Reinstrom. My first year's hosting was last year. It is, uh, first of all, my team is amazing. Will is also part of my team. Will is <laughs> my producer. Our team rules. Our team it's rules. Really yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Radio Drama Revival are the way that you will hear us introduce Radio Drama Revival all the time is that we showcase diverse, unique fiction audio and their creators, right? Um, so we love to, we find some independent fiction that we want to celebrate. We play a couple of episodes on our podcast. And then in the next episode after that, I interview the creator or creators and we talk about all sorts of things, right? I talk about audio design, philosophy, writing ethos. I talk about all the things that go into it. I talk about, I ask some really personal questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I talk about, you know, we often also talk about the impact of fiction podcasting on on their careers and stuff like that, right? Like, why, why this? Um, what was important about having an audio? Things like that. Um, I love talking to creators. It's a lot of fun. Um, and one of the things that we are trying to do at Radio Drama Revival, and I hope we'll always continue to do, is to uplift marginalized voices in particular, right, mm -hmm. who don't get to have that platform. So that's where you can go to find all of our recommendations. There's a lot of them. <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> 14 years worth, in fact. <laughs> yeah, uh, Fred just put up all of the... Um, Fred has put up two different feeds that contain the Fred years and the David years uh, that are not contained in the current feed, uh, which you can find on the website if you want to listen to 14 years worth. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, and Radio Drama Revival is fantastic and probably a large part of the reason why I think last count, I think I have like 584 podcasts I'm subscribed to at the moment. So <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think that's blame we'll happily take. Yeah. <laughs> Zero problems with that. Well, I guess before we go, any final closing thoughts from the two of you? I think that we should give a like one recommendation for a fiction podcast to the fantasy and audience. I know I mentioned a couple of names already, but I want to make sure that we get one for, for these folks. Yes, um, please. That would be amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend, um, I'm going to recommend Point Mystic. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Point Mystic is a horror, po horror, magical realism podcast um, created by people of color, Christopher Reynaga and Marguerite Croft, and also their kid um, about this island, this like small town called Point Mystic, where you can't find it on any map, and you end up at Point Mystic uh, when you need to be there, and it's it's really beautiful. The stories in it are about, you know, a lot of hard, difficult things. So definitely go into this, you know, understanding that they're going to be talking about trauma and things like that. Uh, racism in the newest story, their season two story. Uh, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my very favorites. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Like consistently one of the most underrated yeah. horror slash horror adjacent podcasts. And honestly, like one of the most underrated fiction podcasts out there. Yeah, um, period. Yep. So good. It's so good. 
my recommendation is one that came out last year. It is Null and Void by Cole Burkhart. Uh, Null and Void is spectacular. It uh, touches on a lot of themes uh, similar to Valence's, so it's like very near and dear to my heart. It is about a person who works at a mega corporation that is like ostensibly kind of uh, kind of a cell phone company, but they kind of do everything. This person is caught between the very corporate world that they are more or less forced into and the world of people who are very aware of that corporate world's dark underside and want to examine it and want to prevent some of the awful things they've done from from happening again. I don't want to give too much away because <laughs> this podcast takes some brilliant turns. Um, it is very along the lines of Mr. Robot. And I will say this as somebody who like adores Mr. Robot. Uh, Nolan Void has like a much clearer uh, I- idea of what it's trying to say and how it wants to do that. Uh, <laughs> um, it is so well-conceived and what it's trying to do and what it's trying to say is so thought of in every step in the performances in the writing in the production it's just really incredible and captivating and it's also just like very fun uh lots of memorable characters again a plot that like goes places uh so that's null and void uh you might find it as null slash void on your podcatchers Yes, and a strong second from me on Nolan Void as well. I actually got to have Cole on the podcast about six months ago to talk about that show. So uh, anyone listening to this right now or reading the transcript, definitely go and check out that interview as well. We love Cole here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think that's about all I have for the two of you. So Ellie, Will, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And I'm so thrilled that the two of you could take time out of your ridiculously busy schedules to make this happen. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And now stay tuned for a clip of The Signal. Do not become attached to the signal, for the signal belongs to no one. Three days from now, you will have an important revelation. Knowing this, there is something I need you to do for me.